straight to Matthew chapter 5. And what I want to do today, we've, we've been doing this, we've been reading these Beatitudes every week. I want everybody to read out loud with me as I read these Beatitudes. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen and you guys read this with me in, in honor of God's Word. And, and I think it just would help us to... To say these things together. So Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 2. You guys read out loud with me. And he opened his mouth. And he taught them saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I'm going to go back and I'll read this one. This is where we're going to focus today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Remember, this is, this is Jesus preaching a sermon. That, that's a big deal. We should, as Christians... We should have an opinion about this sermon from from chapter 5 all the way through multiple chapters, this entire sermon. We should have an opinion of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, what your opinion is, I don't know, but the reason I like to read that every week and have us read it out loud and stuff is so we can familiarize ourselves with this. So, um, I'll pray and then we'll kind of unpack this uh, verse 7. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for these people. God, I thank you that your word is enough for us. That we don't have to go anywhere else for any other answers. Your word is enough. It is sufficient. I thank you for that. Father, I pray that now that you would you just come in and help me to, uh, to expound on this, this verse. Help us to understand it. I pray that we leave here with a different perspective on who you are. That we would get a glimpse of who you are through this. And because we look at who you are and we realize what you've done for us, God, that we would change in response to that. That's what I I want to happen today. And so I pray that you would come now, Holy Spirit, and do that for us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Keep looking at at your Bibles. If you got one, and you can, well, it's not going to be up here, but if you got a Bible, we, we started last week and I talked a little bit about um, a different sort of progression in these Beatitudes. Now, when we first started, I, I talked about how they build on one another, so you can't really take them separately, and we've seen every week that as, as you... As you understand one, it builds and leads to the next one, which leads to the next one, which leads to the next one. And we kind of, we grow in this as we see what Jesus is explaining here and how the, the kingdom of heaven, as it pertains to the heart of the believer, what happens in a Christian's heart at a moment of conversion and then throughout their life, this is, this is how a Christian views the world and themselves. But 
last week I talked about how there's a, a sort of a different progression. And, we, and, and I said that um, verses 3, 4, and 5 deal with kind of the inner workings of the Holy Spirit, kind of dealing with our hearts as we, as we see sin and we, we, we get a grasp on who we are. And then verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 are the fruit of... Of what happens when we realize that these things about ourselves. And those sandwich around verse 6. Which we learned last week. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. So in, in 2, 3, and 4 we see... We, we begin to see a look at our, see, see a glimpse of our sin. And, and how we should feel about sin. And then that should lead us to, to a longing and a desire to be free from sin, to be like Jesus, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he says, for they shall be satisfied. They will get what they're hungering for. Christians want to be like Jesus. And if they truly strive to be like Jesus, have their sin forgiven, he will give them this righteousness. And that's... Immediately at the moment of conversion, we're declared righteous before God in Christ. And then in our lifetime, as we grow, we actually are changed to be more like Jesus. And then the following verses, which we're going to start today, 7, 8, and 9, are the literal fruit that we begin to produce as God does what He promised to do. He said He would fill us, He fills us, and then we begin to produce fruit. And then... Verse 10, of course, is what happens in, in response to the world as we begin to produce this fruit. Now, this fruit, especially like we're going to talk about today, being merciful, this will be evident in the life of every believer. Does that mean perfect, 100% all the time we never fail? No. Does that mean we strive for perfection and we pursue that all the time? Yes, we want to produce these things and these things will be evident in the life of a Christian. So as a Christian sees their sin, they realize that in themselves they don't have what it takes to please God. They long to please God. God gives them that righteousness and then they begin to produce Fruit. Does that make sense? We, we long for it, we get it, we, we put it out. So that's where we're starting today with verses 7, 8, and 9. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. These are things that Christians will produce. Now, when we think about this, a couple warnings come, came to my head as I was studying this. First of all, do not be deceived into trusting a feeling for your salvation. We live in a society, I've talked about this several times, we live in a society that is, that is bent towards emotions and feeling a certain way. And, and, and some people say, I know I'm a Christian because, you know, when, when you sing those worship songs, I just feel something in me. I feel warm. And, and, or, or whenever I hear... This or that or, or, or think on spiritual things. I, I get an emotional feeling. We can't trust in that for salvation. That is those, And we've said, and I say all the time, there are people whose full-time job is to write music for movies so that we, we, when we watch a scene and we hear the music, we are emotionally sucked into a movie. 
That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is drawing us or, or just our emotions are fickle. As human beings, we are easily blown and tossed with our emotions. Our heart is deceitful, the Bible says. So we can't always just trust our emotions. Now, does that mean that becoming a Christian is not an emotional event? Absolutely not. There are for sure emotions tied into that event. And daily, we, we, we are emotional when we think about Jesus and what He's done for us, but we don't trust in that. Another warning is don't be deceived into trusting a prayer for your salvation, even if you meant it. Even if you meant it. Now, you, you, if you're like me, maybe you're not, I grew up in churches where preachers would preach. At the end, they would say, if you're not a Christian, repeat this prayer after me. They would say it, you repeat it, and then they say, now if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you are now a Christian. Well, this is, this is not true. There's, there's no, the Bible gives no such reference for our salvation. None whatsoever. So, the rules are established. It cannot be negotiated. The way that you discern a true believer from someone who simply repeated a prayer after a pastor or their mom or their dad, even if they meant it, is by the fruit of... That they produce. Christians produce fruit. Bottom line. That's the only way you tell. There are millions of people who have prayed prayers. They meant that prayer. But they don't produce any fruit. They're not Christians. It, it, there's, there's no such assurance given in scripture. The Bible says if you are a Christian. You produce fruit. And this is the logical pattern. That Jesus is following in this sermon. You will be poor in spirit. You will realize that spiritually you're broken and impoverished. You have nothing to offer God. We're, 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 we have nothing. Because of that, we mourn. We hate sin. I don't want to be a sinful person. We mourn and then because of seeing our sin and mourning for our sin, we begin to realize that I can't trust in myself. I cannot rely on myself at all. I must rely on Jesus and so therefore, in my daily life and in this world, I don't assert myself. I don't rule over people. I don't judge people based on what they're doing. I have an attitude that says, I have nothing. And Jesus has given me anything that's good in me. And that's that meekness. And all of that leads to us longing and longing and longing to be like Jesus. And then He gives it to us and we produce fruit. And Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, and I think, I don't think that's an exhaustive list because it says against such things. There, there are other such things. And I think if we had time, we could go from Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, and draw some connections to those fruits of the Spirit to what Jesus is saying here in His sermon. Christians produce certain things. They put out they don't just pray a prayer and then I'm good, I'm good to go. Or, you know, I got my, I got my shot, I got my heaven shot, so I'm, I'm on my trip and I, I, I quit. We Christians produce certain characteristics all the time. And so that's, that's where we're at. Today we start looking at the fruit that Jesus says Christians will produce. Those who are believers. And he starts with the word that he's, he started every beatitude. Blessed. 
He starts with this word, and, and when we, hopefully, we've spent a lot of time on this, and I hope you guys begin to understand this word, blessed, spiritually happy, unconditionally joyful because of what Jesus has done for us. So when we see this word, we know once again he's talking about Christians, believers. A lost and dying world does not have this blessedness. They don't have this happiness. They can be happy sometimes, but they don't have this unconditional happiness that's no matter what the circumstances are. It does not matter what comes at me on this earth. I've got a joy that's outside of this planet, outside of the universe that keeps me going. And, and lost people don't have that. So, so he starts off here and he's, he lets us know once again that these are, these are descriptions of Christian people. He's speaking of the people of the promise. Those who are united by faith to Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And so when he begins preaching these things, that this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. His, his listeners were, were surprised, as we are oftentimes, but these are spiritual truths for a spiritual people. So he's talking about Christians, and he says, blessed are the merciful. Now, like I said, we've learned uh, that we are kind of on a progression, and they, these Beatitudes justify one another. So what I want to do, once again, is go from blessed are the poor in spirit and get to merciful. So we're... So I'm looking forward. How do I get to merciful from where I'm at at the very beginning? And I know we've said we produce fruit, but this is specifically being merciful. So the Christian man is first poor in spirit. First and foremost, he has seen his sin. He's seen his transgression as offensive to God, which is the biggest issue with sin. It's an offense to God. And, and, and any and all sin that we commit at the deepest level... Is our attempt to take God off of his throne and put ourselves there. So it could be the smallest thing. Stealing a pack of gum. God said don't steal. I say do steal. So apparently God's not good enough. And I'm going to sit on his throne and say stealing's just fine. Or stealing's okay if it's for this reason or that reason. That's what all sin leads to that. And there's even smaller sins that, that they're all in their, their deepest place. Us saying God, I don't believe what you said. I don't trust your rules. I want to be God. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And so when we see this, we realize that we're broken. We're poor in spirit. The Bible says that in our wickedness, our natural desire is to worship created things rather than the Creator. We don't want to worship God. We can see it. But even people who can see the created order say there is no God. That was just... That just evolved. That just was a, 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 a spoof. An accident. They suppress that because they don't want to worship God. And we're all this way. Because of this sin, sinful nature and because of our offense to God, we deserve eternal punishment. The Christian person understands this truth. We deserve eternal punishment. We have taken the glory of the God of the universe... Pushed it aside and attempted to usurp his throne for ourselves. And so if we've sinned against an infinitely holy God, we are 
held accountable for that and we deserve eternal punishment. He is holy and he is just and he is required by his own character to punish sin. And so being poor in spirit means that we know we can't fix that problem. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God and we deserve nothing less than eternal punishment in hell. And, and all that summed up is to say, we begin to agree with God about our sin. God hates sin, we hate sin. And we see that and we're broken. And because of this reality of our sin and the, and the, the fact that we deserve punishment, we mourn. We repent and we turn from our sinful ways. We earnestly desire to be rid of sin and, and, and have nothing to do with sin and worship God forever. But the fact remains we still struggle with sin every day. And so we mourn. This brings a mournful state over a Christian person when they think of sin. But... As Christians, we rejoice that God has given us Jesus as a, as a substitutionary atonement for our sin. Those are big words. That just means Jesus died in our place to take away our sin. We deserve death and hell. God puts forth Jesus to take away our punishment. And, and that's it. That's, that's Christianity. That is the crux of everything we believe. We deserve sin, or hell. We deserve death. God gives Jesus. Jesus gets our punishment. We walk away free if we trust in Jesus. That's the sake, or that's the, the central point of Christianity, of all of our joy and our blessedness. But our hearts still mourn when we sin. We don't want to sin. And as we see the beauty of this great exchange, the righteous Jesus for the unrighteous me, we begin to realize just how little we participate in this whole thing. Salvation is of the Lord. The Bible is clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's work alone. It is a free gift and we must rest in that gift forever. We just rest. You go back to the Garden of Eden. God worked six days, rested on the seventh. That was a gift to us. Rest. And we wiped his law aside. One of the, the, the most basic things that God wants to give us is rest. And so as we, as we see this, we're, we, we are emptied of our, all of our self-sustaining power and our pride and we become meek. And we see then that Christ is the perfect picture of all that we should be. He is the righteous one who lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death we deserved. When we see this, we adore him. We exalt Him. We worship Him. We, we love Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We, we're enthralled with who He is, His character. I want to be like that man. Not because it will make Him love me more, but simply because that's just the reasonable reaction for what He's done for us. He died for us. He is the King of kings. He's God in human form. I want to be like that. And so we are enthralled with this and we spend the rest of our lives pursuing this right living. We pursue righteousness until we die. Now, as a Christian ponders these things, all believers, as we ponder these things, a few things should stand out. Number one, my personal transgression towards God, towards the God of the universe, the fact that I deserve death and the truth that Jesus Christ has satisfied God's wrath for me in my place. As a Christian, I did not yet, nor will I ever receive what I deserve. Because I deserve hell. I deserve death. But I'm not in hell. I'm not dead. I'm not getting it. I trust in the promises that God has given me 
and the sufficiency of the death of Christ to say, if I claim that death for myself, I trust Jesus, I will not get what I deserve. I deserve hell, and I'm not going to get it. All believers understand this. So, the crazy thing is that God was required to do none of this. None of it. He didn't have to create anything. No people. He, he, there was no, no, no requirement of Him to do this. He actively chose to do all of this on His own. Now, if we think about it, Jesus died, you know, at the, at the, AC, or the, the BCAD line there. So but up until that point, for thousands of years, people had sinned, transgressed against God. There was no payment for their sin. God just let it go. And even now, God, God could see in the future, know that I would be a sinner. Know that I would transgress and, and break His law. And He said, it's okay. It's cool for, for Paul to be born as a sinner and live and breathe air and see the sunshine. If we think about this, that could make God look unjust. That doesn't look fair. If he, he must punish sin, but then he lets it go for thousands of years up until Jesus' death. He looks forward in, in the future and says, it's okay, just let him be born. I've got a plan. That, that For those of us, or for any human being who does not realize what Jesus has done, that looks like he's just kind of letting it go. And the question is, what kind of God does this? What kind of God takes an opportunity to simply just absorb in himself the offenses of mankind at the risk of personal disgrace, at the risk of looking like he's no good. What kind of God does this? The answer is a merciful God does this. He has mercy. That, that's the only reason. That's a part of his character. He has mercy on whom he has mercy. He has compassion on whom he has compassion. He just does what he wants to do. A merciful God does this. So that's where we, how we get to mercy. We see that God has done this. And so we in turn want to do this. So that's my definition of mercy. I invented my own definition. And, and I'm, I hope you guys will... Um, Require of me to prove it, and, and I will. Um, so this is what I said. What I'm, I want to say, mercy is mercy is actively mercy actively seizes an opportunity to absorb in oneself an offense at the risk of personal disgrace. Mercy actively seizes an opportunity to absorb in oneself an offense. At the risk of personal disgrace. Like I said, I came up with that on my own. I'm sure you guys have heard a lot simpler definitions. And I'm actually going to repeat one right now. But I think there's a, there's a reason why I've done that. Um, for, before we get to it, the opposite of this sounds like this. Now, if we put it in simpler terms, which I'm sure you guys have all heard. We say, grace is uh, getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. So the opposite would be... Opposite of mercy would be getting what we deserve. Or if we go back to my definition, the opposite would be mercy actively seizes an opportunity to look for an offense and then render all due punishment in order to remove all personal risk of disgrace. Now that's not super important right now, but let's be honest. We tend toward this side of it. We look for offenses in people, the things that they do wrong, and we point them out maybe in our own group, we render whatever punishment we think they deserve, we, 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 we either just pronounce it or we condemn them or whatever, just so that everybody knows I am not involved with that. Well, they do this. I just want everybody to know 
that they do this and I'm pointed out to let you know I don't do that. That's what we do. That's our, our tendency toward that. I want to read uh, Matthew. In Matthew chapter 18, we, we see a picture of this perfectly. Um, Jesus is telling a parable. And he said, um, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. Just so you know, 10,000 talents is about 20 years wages. He says, just have mercy, I will pay everything. And out of pity for the man, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is about a day's wages, he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now we read this and we, we are upset with this man. That's not fair. He, got, he was relieved of his debt out of mercy and then he went out and didn't treat people like... He had been treated. We get upset when you read this. That's obviously not the right response. And Jesus goes on to show that that's not how he should have acted. But this is what we do. We do the same thing. We claim to have been saved by grace through faith in the death of Jesus. And we look down on people for their sin. It's the same thing. We, we don't give the mercy we've been given. This is what we do. Well, he wouldn't be poor if he'd get a job. Well, if they didn't spend all their money on drugs, they wouldn't be in that situation. It shouldn't be our responsibility to keep up illegal immigrants. This is what we do. We forget the mercy that we have been shown. Either that or we've never experienced it. We just don't know it. Now, I'm not, I'm not condoning sin. I'm not saying it's okay for people to sin. I'm saying as Christians, we should have pity on people because they are in bondage to sin and extend to them an arm to get them to the mercy of God like we've received, like somebody done for us, rather than saying, look at their sin, I'm not a part of it. That's because that's what we do. Look at that, I'm not a part of it, just want to make sure everybody knows that's over there and I'm over here. I'm not in that club. That's, that's how we act as Christians. Our job as a Christian is to share the gospel and make disciples. That's it. That's your job. Your, your marching orders is to be a good citizen, make Disciples share the gospel. But we, we don't do this. We tend towards the other way. So that's, that's why I wanted to make sure we see the opposite because we're not supposed to be like that. Um, biblical examples of mercy. In Exodus 34, we read about God pronouncing His name. And He says, I'm merciful and compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Our God is a merciful God. And we've already looked at Examples of that. You see that in Hosea, where Hosea marries a prostitute to show the children of Israel how they were acting towards God and how God felt about it. And she went and, and was a prostitute. And Hosea went and bought her back out of prostitution to show the children of Israel how God feels about them. He loves His people no matter what. And He will pursue His people. And that's, that's us. God is a merciful God. In 1 Samuel 24, you read about David who was being pursued by Saul, who was the king. David had been anointed king already, but Saul was still the active king. Saul wanted to kill David. And David went in, or, or Saul, when he was looking for David, went into a cave to relieve himself. And David was hiding in there. And David snuck up behind him and cut a piece of his robe off without him knowing. 
The man who was after him trying to kill him cut a piece of his robe off and then goes outside and says, See, I cut your robe off. I could have killed you, but I didn't. David wasn't weak. He wasn't a wuss running for his life. He was a mighty warrior of God. And when you read about how they described David and Saul, it was Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. David was a mighty warrior. He was no scaredy cat, but he says, I cut off your robe. I could have killed you, but I didn't. So that's, that's mercy. It's not just, just, it's not sucking back from everything. It's looking for an opportunity to absorb in yourself an offense. What, what is the offense in these situations? Well, of course, we've infinitely offended God. Saul was after David's life. The children of Israel had sinned against God and worshipped other idols. And, and these, these people, God and David, had, had shown this mercy. They just absorbed it. Just let it go. And I'm going to extend to you that, even though it may look like I'm not just, maybe it makes me look like I'm just scared of you, that's what we do. Or we should do. Those are biblical examples of mercy. And of course you all know the, the story of the good Samaritan. This man who was a Samaritan finds a Jew beaten on the ground after the priest and the Levite had already walked by on the other side. He takes him up. He bandages his wounds. He takes him to an inn. He gives the innkeeper money and says, take care of him. And, and if you have to pay any more, whenever I come back through, I'll pay you back. What was the offense? Well, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. I mean, the risk was his buddies or whatever saying, what are you doing helping a Jew? They, they talk down to us. They, they spit on us. They hate us and you're helping him? But he just absorbed it. He just let it go and he showed mercy. And Jesus actually says in that parable, who was this man's neighbor? And, and the one he was talking to said, the one who showed him mercy. That is mercy. So in light of all the Beatitudes and, and how we've what we've learned about mercy in that we just, we just absorb whatever the offense may be and we extend that hand of mercy even though it makes us sometimes look silly. The answer is just show the mercy that we've been shown. We just extend what we've been given. We know that we too are sinners. We too are incapable of salvation. We, are, we too, if not for the mercy of God, would still be in bondage to sin. If it weren't for God's mercy, we would still be exactly where we were before. We'd be chasing our own things. But we understand that we've been extended mercy. And so we extend that to other people. We treat other people with the mercy we've been shown at the grocery store, at work, at the stoplight, on the interstate, in the classroom, in your home. You extend this mercy. You just absorb the offenses. It's, it's no big deal. I'm a sinner too. If it weren't for God's mercy and grace, I'd be right where you are. I'm not going to throw stones at you. I want to help you see the mercy I've been given. And he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, the risk here is that we read this and we say, okay, so, so it's conditional. I, we, blessed are those who are merciful. I'll be merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We read this and, we, and, and some people have misconstrued this to, to make salvation conditional. If God looks on you and He sees that you're able to give mercy, then He'll give mercy to you. And that's not, that's not how we read this. If we use the same interpretation as the rest of these Beatitudes, we see that this is just a definition of a Christian. You have received mercy, you will give mercy. That's just, it's, 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 it's just unknown. It's the same as when Jesus, when He was teaching us to pray, said... 
Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He wasn't saying, God, now watch us. And if we do everything right, then hey, feel free to bless us. No, we're begging. Please, please do it. And we'll, we'll, we'll keep on putting out what we're receiving. So we've got to be careful not to confuse that. We just, we get it as a Christian. We have received mercy and therefore we give mercy. But maybe after all this, you're still thinking, why do I need mercy? Why do I need it? Okay, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But why do I care if I get mercy? And the answer is simply, we are sinners. Every human being is born this way. We've offended God. We cannot please God. And we've already talked about this. We, we, we've left God and we worship ourselves. But mercy is free. And the mercy of God has already been purchased by Christ at Calvary if we would just receive it. And so I want to close with that this morning. It's free. You just receive that mercy. In Jesus. We trust Jesus. If you're not a Christian today, just receive Jesus. You just, in your heart, you just repent of your sin and receive Jesus. It's that simple. If you are a Christian today, my, my application for you is go and do likewise. You understand the mercy you've been given Go and give it to people. This is how we people look at us and say, you're not treating them like most people would treat them. You're, you're different. Well, it's because I've received mercy from Jesus that is, is completely attributed to Him and there's nothing I can do about it I, except receive it. And I just want to give other people that same opportunity. I want to show other people what I've been given. So I'm going to close with that.